This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. They're available in Canada and in the U.S. and now at LCBO stores across Ontario. Again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour. On this Family Tree Podcast, episode 157. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm hoping you're all, you know, out of the slump from the partying, the eating, the drinking, the stress, the everything that the holidays come with. And we have a wicked episode for you today. And I'm very excited. I'm personally invested in this one because it's an interview with, I'm saying a new friend, Travis Leneff. This is a model, an actor. He was on Shane's show in one of the coolest sketches. He played the dinosaur. Well, he wasn't the dinosaur. He was the puppeteer <laughs> inside a very realistic dinosaur costume. He played a velociraptor. You got it. It looks like Jurassic Park. And there was two puppeteers. They had to switch in and out every 15 minutes because this thing got hot. But Travis was amazing and went above and beyond and was able to do things that I didn't think were, I, I never thought this sketch would actually come to life, and he brought it to life. Like, there's two puppeteers, but the other one had a bit of a back problem. So, you know, no shame in that. But Travis really brought it, and I'm eternally grateful for him. And Travis always brings it. You might have seen him bring it as a pit crew member on Canada's Drag Race. He was in that for a while. And we get into that in the interview. We get into authenticity because that's something I want to bring in this new year, showing up as yourself and whatever that is because it's so important. And for his case, you know, growing up as a gay kid in a small town in Canada, carving out an identity in that. You're going to love this. Travis is such a gem. And I will preface this by saying in the interview, there are lots of birds and possibly other animals every so often in the background. Like he'll say something and all the birds will kind of like laugh at him. Yeah. He lives in like an animal sanctuary or something. (laughs) Something. He's constantly (laughs) around animals. Yeah. It's it's pretty funny, but I really hope you guys enjoy it because it is one that is very close to my heart. But Shane, let's get into it. Cheers, baby. Non-alcoholic cocktail for the night. We are doing seed lip sour. Let's taste this delicious beverage. Whew. Thought I'd keep the party going non-alcoholically. Yes. Finally, a reprieve from alcohol, but not a reprieve from that relaxation feeling you get when you have a cocktail. Yeah, it feels fun. Yes. I'm feeling fun already. See, this is what the podcast does to me. I was feeling really tired and like kind of gloomy. It was a gray day. But I'm already feeling good again. Oh, good. Glad yeah. to hear it, Alex. So what, like we're going to talk about, res- or you want to ask the question. You asked no, the question. You hey. gave me a, you put your hand on your hip. You whipped your head around <laughs> no. like, 
This is my podcast. Okay, you asked the question. No, I was waiting for you to ask. I was getting in my sassy, ready-to-answer pose. Well, what is a New Year's podcast, the first one of the New Year, without asking the hack question of what is your resolution? And you know what? I don't think this is hack. I've realized, too, on Instagram, I love reading when people have been doing write-ups on their resolutions because it honestly makes me think of some things that I hadn't thought of, that I hadn't considered. I was like, ooh, that's a great resolution or ooh, that's a crappy resolution, like for me. Mm -hmm. And I actually find it very helpful. So who knows, Shane? Maybe somebody who's like struggling to find a resolution will find this helpful. But I want to break it down. Okay. So I want to go personal resolutions for each of us. And then I want to go relationship resolutions, like things that we could do as a team. And then I want you to, if you were me, choose a resolution or a goal that I should do and I can choose one for you. Not that we have to do them. We'll probably say F you to each other. But personal goal, Shane, I want to ask you about those. So you're turning 40 this year. We are kind of talking about it a couple days ago. And that ties in a lot to your New Year's resolutions, I know. So go over that. What do you want to do? Well, my resolution, as you said, are supercharged because I'm turning 40 and I put a lot of pressure on me to, by 40, have my life figured out to some extent. Because mm-hmm. that is an important thing. Like, I read self-help books. I'm always trying to buy little gadgets and things to help me be more efficient. But it's hard to put all these hopes into practice. But being 40, to me, it's useful because I'm a procrastinator. But 40 is such a thing where you in my mind, you have to have it figured out by 40. So (laughs) since that's happening, I'm actually going to stick to my resolutions this year, probably in a way that I haven't before. So what are they? I want to take better care of my teeth. Right. I want to, because I find I'm, you know, I'm inherently lazy. So (laughs) I, I, and I get bored. Brushing my teeth is something I kind of go through the motions. So I bought a toothbrush that is normally $100. It was on sale for 50 I took that as a sign from the dental gods <laughs> to get it together. Let's have whiter teeth. Uh, I don't. Should I get them whitened? Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. I want to say if that was a sign from the dental co- gods to start taking care of your teeth, you getting this. So Shane bought this toothbrush yesterday. This morning, it stopped working. Shane, what kind of sign is that? Never give up. (laughs) So I had to go and bring it back and replace the toothbrush. Anytime something's 50% off, there's a reason (laughs) behind it. So I was suspicious. I'm waiting for mine to give out now. Yeah, because I bought Alex one too. It was kind of like a buy one, get one free in my book. Anytime I see something 50% off, I buy two of them. It's good. But Shane, yeah, get your teeth whitened if you want. Although just do the crest white strips. And I bought you a whitening thing because I find that when people go to get them whitened professionally, you know, I know it's not one of your movies, Intolerable Cruelty with uh, George Clooney and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Famously known as the worst Coen Brothers movie. Hey, I like it. All right. There's an audience for everything. But he is a tooth whitener guy, a teeth whitener guy in that movie. Yeah. And but I find but I they're extreme and I find that with a lot of people in real life it's like they forget the natural white every time they go in and they just get them this like you know they'll go to a club and they just glow light up the damn place. Yeah, you're saying when you notice it, you don't notice so many people have had their teeth whitened. Correct. So it's like plastic surgery, anything. You only mm-hmm. notice it when it's done in a way that might be a little extreme. So I'd like to get a natural Look, for someone like you, you have uh, 
I'd say great teeth genes. So you might say, don't do that. Be like me. Because you have this theory, you throw on a white strip and it lasts you the whole year. Yeah. But that's because you have naturally great teeth. My teeth aren't. They're not bad, but they're not great. They might be below average So in terms of whiteness. I want them to be at their best. And then I want to maintain it. I want to do gum health. <laughs> no. Okay, wait. resolution. No, it's not. And, and here's the thing. Let's get your teeth whitened. Like, yeah. do it for sure. <laughs> I like how quick I, I turned your arm. No, it's funny because I'm oddly jealous of your teeth. So you and I, neither one of us have had braces. We both got, you know, good looking teeth for no braces. Um, but I've got a gap. You've got a little thing down here. And my teeth are very white, yes. However, you don't get cavities. I get cavities super easily because the ho- not the holes in the back, the, the divots in the back of my teeth, sorry guys, I'm not a dentist, are so deep. And also people with lupus are for some reason, or autoimmune, are for some reason more prone to getting cavities. You don't get any cavities and you can eat yeah. any, you tell me about what you ate as a kid, like you drank pop like it was water. I, I couldn't touch that stuff. I haven't been to the dentist since the pandemic hit also. So that statement you're saying might not be true. I could be littered with them. I need to go to the dentist, Mm -hmm. get things back in order the way they were pre-pandemic, which was I was going every six to eight months. And I so I got to get that figured out. I have to figure out how to be social, Mm -hmm. um, how to talk. Like um, I'm tired of constantly feeling uncomfortable in my skin, my body. And I'm always cringing when I'm around people (laughs) to my core, not our family, like not around the the in-laws or anything or my parents, obviously, but everyone else outside of my close friends. I can't have a social interaction without wanting to jump out of my body. So I'm going to spend so much of this year researching tips, tricks, and finding one that works that I can be comfortable in because it... It's a daily torture. Mm -hmm. Today, I was even trying to build confidence, trying to uh, start a conversation with someone like (laughs) at at the water cooler area. And I just got so scared that I just, I chickened out. And it's a fear that is unnatural. Wait, what is, what is the ultimate fear here? Small talk, uh, someone not liking me, having this constant feel of shame like i can't hold my head up yeah like i'm going to be in trouble there's this always this fear that i'm in trouble for something and it's only a matter of time before you know i'm someone it's revealed that someone hates me or dislikes me or anything like that Mm -hmm. i just it's it's not a normal way to go about life and i want to unlock this fear Mm -hmm. and just be comfortable Okay, look, if it makes you feel any better, because I think a lot of people have this fear, at least I see a lot of memes about it, but I I like small talk. I don't mind it at all, right? It's not that I like it or love it, but I do not mind it at all. And I like having little niceties with acquaintances at work or random people on the street. I always am putting my foot in my mouth, like constantly, like 10 mm-hmm. times a day. But you just have to be able to let it slide off your shoulders and maybe you just get to that point by doing it so much and you're like, oh, I just can't control it all the time. And you just have to cede control because every single person is in that position. Every single person feels like an idiot after a conversation. And there's something so uh, heartwarming in that. Like 
I once told somebody that I was only having, this is at work, that I was only having one coffee that day because I was trying to lay off coffee or something. Yeah. And they go, look at you, Alex, just raw dog in life. And then immediately their face sank and I just sure. burst out laughing because they, they got so terrified that they said something inappropriate, which it kind of was, but it was mostly hilarious. And like, I don't care. And they just, they walked away from that conversation, probably thought about it for the rest of the week. Of course. Listen, I get it. Everyone has anxiety. Everyone has cringeworthy moments. Everyone has awkward moments. And everyone, to some extent, isn't perfect in social situations. What I have, however, is more of a clinical, constant, mm. ongoing thing. So I'm not saying when I say I have bad, terrible anxiety, I'm not saying that you don't. Yeah, yeah. And you can handle it. But mine's omnipresent and yours is normal. Mine mm-hmm. is at like a 10 out of 10, the point where it's so uncomfortable to go through day-to-day life. So I appreciate your advice, but <laughs> it's also a little like, you know, just brush it off and walk in there and be smile. and Just be you. Yeah, it's it's almost like that toxic positivity thing when someone says they're having <laughs> no. bad days. But it, no, and I know you don't mean any harm by it, but I've heard people say these things yeah. and anyone listening out there who has this type of social anxiety mm-hmm. will know that what you're saying, it just can't be switched on like that. Yeah. I, I do have to figure out even what the tools are to apply them. And that's a big thing because I want to have this figured out. Mm-hmm. I do. And I f- if I get too deep into my 40s, the jello is going to be so set that I'll just be like, oh, I'll just wait to die. Well, Shane, my my best wishes to you in getting out there and raw dog in those simple water cooler conversations. Alec, I'm serious though. I know I know this is a big joke for you, but this is like tormenting my entire life. Sorry. <laughs> no, really though. I, I I hope you do. No, you don't. You yes, just want to make jokes. You want to score laughs on the podcast. I, I think. just want to say raw dog porn because it's hilarious. Yeah. But no, that that's I think those are awesome goals. And I know you're talking about more, and I not only talking about more, but like every night you are really making a conscious effort to like you're pumping iron doing push-ups more than usual that's obviously a goal i don't think i'm doing more than usual no uh what do you mean more than usual every night we're talking about resolutions for the year i know but i'm saying like a few months ago you you really got into everything not really honestly uh I am going to this year. I haven't. I've been doing way less push-ups, actually. (laughs) (laughs) For you, maybe you think it's more because you see me doing twenty Mm push-ups while we're watching a movie. But I want to be doing, and this sounds like a ridiculous number, five hundred push-ups a day consistently, marking it down. I've done it before in the heart of the pandemic. I was on a really good streak. Maybe now I'm doing a hundred to two hundred a day. You were doing five hundred during the pandemic. Yes. I must have known this. Why did I forget that? That's well, wild. I, I got so good at doing push-ups, I could do 100 in a single commercial break. So I would just do five. Jeez. In five commercial breaks, I would have done 500 push-ups. Now I can only do 45 in a row, which for me is still pretty good. But I, I had it to the point where I had got built the strength mm-hmm. to get to 100. See, I, I love this because one of my goals is to just – feel like strong and healthy. I was looking at my legs, folks. I used to have like real strong legs and a real strong butt. My glutes were massive and could probably crush coconuts. And now they're just wet noodles. Like they're just nothing, no strength. And it's awful because they start to get tired real easily. And I want to have that strength back because it's just 
as you age, it's so good to have muscle mass. And I'm doing the freaking Peloton today because watching Shane exercise and hear him talking about, you know, just wanting to get strong. It's so inspiring. and It's so much easier to do when you're doing it with somebody else. But Shane, 20 minutes on the Peloton and I really did work hard. But like my belly button was sweating Oddly, I looked at my shirt after I did my thing and there was a ring of sweat around my belly button. Everything. Okay. Speaking of belly buttons, (laughs) you know, I I hate them and I have have cursed with the worst belly button ever. It freaks me out. It makes me physically ill to my stomach and I'm, I want to go into the doctor and tell them I'm having pain in it, Mm -hmm. which I do have this weird pain. If I touch it, I... I, I crawl out of my skin and I want them to fix it surgically. It, well, it's a hernia, right? So they should, that, that's something they can do. I've gone in before and they wouldn't. And I, I talked to someone online. They were messaging the best hang because I talked about it on that podcast. And they told me if you go in and act like it hurts, which yeah. I didn't act like it hurt enough before, that they'll actually fix it for you. But the last time I went, and this was five years ago, I'm assuming it's much worse than it was five years ago, that they'll actually fix it. And I'm so self-conscious about it that even though I wear a shirt 98% of my life, <laughs> but even when I was shooting the sketch show, there was a moment where all the women gathered around and made fun of my belly button. And they don't think that's a normal thing that a man would care about. Mm-hmm. But it ruined my confidence. Like yeah. I just felt like so bad and I'm embarrassed I felt bad. Uh, and I joked it off and everything, but it really, I was like, oh, geez, that's one thing. Not only do I hate belly buttons, I hate having a terrible belly button. Oh, I heard about that incident and yeah. I, I took it up with some of the uh, people. Nice. Okay, <laughs> Alex, thank you for defending me. But I'm very curious because I have like 30 more resolutions and we will be here all day. I want to get to yours. What okay. Uh, well, getting strong and healthy as i already said your belly button sweat on the peloton whatever i want to kill the game i want to kill whatever i'm doing and when i'm doing something it's because i like it however i can get really uninspired easily always the same thing always imposter syndrome nobody you know what do i have to say that's of any value what do i have to say that is original what do i have to do that's creative and these thoughts really eat away at me and it becomes almost like a physical thing and it makes me kind of cower and I want to just banish that and really just focus on getting to the top of my game in everything that I'm doing whether it's podcasting content creation teaching whatever okay so how are you going to do it I don't know and this is why I want to talk about it yeah I was listening to a TikTok the other day and this person was saying I, they were diagnosed with uh, narcissism syndrome or some something like that. It's worded. People know what I'm talking about. And he said the definition was when you come up with plans like when you come up with ideas like that or grandiose visions, but you don't have a plan. Mm-hmm. It's like you're just expecting the world to give these things to you because you throw them out. But you have to have a plan. Yeah, but my my I don't have like my end goal here is not to just like be the best. It's to allow myself to be unencumbered by the negative thoughts 
that I can allow myself to plan and do what I need to do to become the best. Because it's even hard for me sometimes to get to that point because I'm like, what's the point? And I throw the papers yeah. in the air. You know what I mean? The plan supersedes the goal though. Mm-hmm. So without the plan, the goal, the goals are irrelevant because everyone wants to be the best. But the plans slowly get you there, whether it's your goal or not. But how do you get rid of the self-negativity? I, I, I don't know. And maybe maybe you don't. But there's definitely results that can confirm or um, get away some lack of confidence. For example, you have over 200,000 TikTok followers mm-hmm. and you have close to 50,000 Instagram followers. That must tell you that you're doing something right because mm-hmm. that is not normal. Yeah. Right. So you're succeeding. So you must have some talent or else why would you have so many people following you? Yeah. But then honestly, it's like, you know, you get one bomb and then you're like, oh, nothing I say is funny anymore. It's not inspiring anymore, whatever. And even if it's bullshit, you kind of believe the lies that you're telling yourself in your own head. So a big thing for me this year is getting over that because I find that it really does put me in slumps. And I'm so tired of getting put in a slump that I don't deserve to be in. The plan to get mm-hmm. over it is more important than the goal of getting over it. Yes. Well, that's the thing. I don't know how the hell to get over it. I need, <laughs> I need to come up with something. Well, start researching how to get yeah. over imposter syndrome. Write down what your goals are at the top and then write a plan mm-hmm. to get to the that goal. Next post coming up. I'll do a post on that this week just like for a little self-help mm-hmm. thing there. Uh Next, just getting out there more, putting myself in positions, and maybe this has a lot to do with that, but putting myself in positions where I'm doing more things that make me happy, whether it is putting myself out there more with you in our relationship, putting myself out there more in the community because I like helping out in the community. It makes me feel good. Putting myself out more in like the mom community in Hamilton. I used to be so in it. When I had Lucy, I was so in it. I was doing stuff with moms, communicating with moms like in my own town. And now like when I had Betty, I did nothing because it was COVID and postpartum. So I had lost touch with that whole community. And now sometimes when I'm doing content creation, I just feel like I'm on this little lonely island. And I'm really missing that kind of connection, even if it's just online. So I really want to do things to just put myself out in different aspects of my life and yeah just do more of that like seek out more opportunities i guess Mm -hmm. nice but yeah anyway shane i want to get on to relationship goals real quick even just give me one do you have one goal for our relationship going into the new year you have to be more specific with that question well anything any resolutions for us that you think might be good for us you give me an example and i'll okay i'll understand it more so like i think that I'd love to get back into date nights or at least some form of it because that I held on to so much and it really did put so much pep in my step for the like entire week because it gave me something to look forward to and then it gave me something to kind of reminisce about right after it happened and during the show and everything like everything's been so busy that we kind of fell out of that but if we could do it in some kind of regard like even if we weren't you know, drinking, if we just had like one glass of wine and then just did tea all night or something, as long as we're doing something different, I think mm-hmm. that that is fun. Like, let's play the newlywed game again. Like, let's do stupid crap like that, you know? 
sure. I, I honestly consider almost every night we have of the week to be that way. We spend an inordinate <laughs> amount of time together. Yeah. So it like it's untenable to be going out or drinking on a, on a Wednesday mm-hmm. uh, for us right now because you're going to work. I, I, I'm traveling two and a half hours every day commuting. So that's tough. Date nights, I do think, are very effective for people who don't connect often. We're connecting every single night yeah. of the week. So if you want to play date night, like, or, or sorry, the newlywed game, let's say, you want to play that tonight, it's easy. You say the word, I'm doing it. You want to play Toe Jam and Earl, our video game? <laughs> we can do that. It's very easy, right? So I don't, I'm a little confused at why you think it's so important, like we need to connect in that way. Because for me, I'm like, we are. No, it's just out of the ordinary, like getting that fancy dinner and then, or whatever, just something out of the ordinary, like a little treat mm-hmm. for ourselves, you know? We, we can do that anytime. We're, that's the beauty of being adults. <laughs> if you want me to order the keg to our house, let's do it. But, yeah. but to me, I, and this is strange, I found when we got rid of the date nights, mm-hmm. In a weird way, like after the pandemic was over, my my health went up, my happiness went up in a in a weird way, mm-hmm. because I just felt so much better physically. Because it it had this domino effect where, and maybe we were just doing the date night wrong. Like you're saying, it doesn't have to be drinking. Yeah. But we would eat a really heavy meal on the Wednesday. It was beautiful meal. Mm-hmm. We'd have the wine, and then we would have pizza night on Friday. Eat poorly yeah. on Saturday. Uh, and eat poorly on Sunday. So four nights of the week, I was eating terribly. Two nights of the week, I was being overserved alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I had very little time for my health. And that dysregulated my mood a lot. And I found as a net overall rating, it, it leaned negative rather than positive for our relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, is the b- net positive the best I've ever felt? Just making up expressions here. No, I like it. And I, I feel great too. I think that I just like that little treat because you're right. Like we have basically a date night every night where we're doing quality time and not just like sitting there on our phones or something separately. Like we're doing something together every night. But I like the treat, babe. I know. And and do you know what I find to be a treat? What? And this is almost a date night. And it sounds boring. I realize this. And I am getting older and more prone to boring things. Us reading together, sitting there and reading, I look forward to that as if it's a treat. And some, you may find it benign or banal or whatever. But to me, that's exciting. Yeah, but I want that to become a part of our like regular routine. So the point of the date night is something that's, yeah. Is Me some, too. There's something oh. that's out of the routine. But if you have a date night once a week, that is part of the routine. Yeah, but it's not hopefully as frequent as reading or something. Okay, you know what so, I mean? So name, describe to me a perfect date night. Mm, okay. So perfect date night, we get dinner from somewhere nice. Doesn't have to be super happy, but mm-hmm. we get dinner from somewhere nice. See, that throws me off, not to interject so early, but that, that food is so unhealthy for me that it... <laughs> I feel terrible the next day. I can't eat that much unhealthy food anymore. Well, then then we just like, we'll figure out, a, a you know, a healthy spot. Like we can order something healthy from wherever. I don't want to eat healthy food. <laughs> I want to eat tasty, normal food that's yeah. not 2,000 calories on a plate. Well, then we, yeah. 
I don't know, Shane. We'll work it out. We'll work something. Oh, don't get mad. I'm not mad. I'm just saying I find value in that and you're just like disregarding it completely. But I'm saying it has is detrimental to me. Well, I'm saying then we find a way to make it not detrimental. And, and I'm saying your solution isn't satisfactory to me. <laughs> I'm saying work on me for a good solution, Shane. Work, work with, on you with, for a good solution. With, okay. Work with me. What if, would it be unsatisfactory if I just got you a meal? No. Okay. What's the point of doing anything if you're going to do it alone? I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I'm here, feeding here's you. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What if same dinner? So like we do the meal like we do every night, right? Because we do have really beautiful meals every single night that we cook. Do one of those, one bottle of wine, and that's it. No, I can't. One glass of wine. I don't even know. Mm. I honestly, that does nothing for me. And I don't want to be a party pooper here at all. But I really like my relationship with alcohol being a more rare, special thing. And I do find that it has changed our health life. Like you and I both know that. Yeah. Oh, for, the, for the last eight months, we've been healthier than we ever have been. Yeah. And you're always commenting on it. And you're like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I know what it is. It was cutting out the date nights. And I really feel that. And I, by the way, I, if you are a per listening right now and you and your partner do not have a lot of time where you connect, you both have busy lives and you're like passing ships in the night or whatever the expression is, have a date night, have that bottle of wine, do whatever makes you happy and it will be great for your relationship. For Alex and I, we work together, we live together, I work from home, I'm home five days of the week, you're, you're home at three every day, mm -hmm. we spend every night, all night together. So we're together all weekends together, day and night. We do not have a problem of lack of quality time together. Yeah. So the date night is, what's the word, superfluous? Mm -hmm. In the sense that all it does is it drags our, um, it gives us this dopamine, this unnecessary amount of dopamine, and we crash the next day. And I don't like the way th our night goes the day after, I realized. Okay, well, look, I think that date nights in the way that we've done it historically comes down to a few things that separate it from other nights, which is like, you know, not being on our phones, like not really looking, checking messages, whatever, and doing something to maybe look nice for each other or just like do some, do something a little extra. You know what I mean? And that is what can make it a date night with same food, tea instead of wine, anything. It's like just that. like the things to really be present Instead of freaking looking at our phone every commercial, like let's put our phones on the top shelf of the bookshelf. <laughs> but the implication here is that we're still watching TV and that's fine. Well, I just said commercial. I didn't know what, like anything, anything. Let's play a game. Let's sit there and listen to music and have our tea and chat, whatever. Love to. But let's put our phones away. Even like, it's not like phones are a huge issue anyway, but I loved that about date nights, how it was just solely focused on each other and nothing was going to take that attention away and i think that's mm -hmm. the ultimate thing that it comes down to if we can take food and alcohol out of the mix <laughs> i'm so happy and grateful to do that see look we're working on a solution i agree that that was my only problem was if it was alcohol or food related because i find it throws my world off orbit well there you go look babe what that's working good. together can do give me that high five i like it
That was a real-time <laughs> argument. <laughs> okay, Shane. Yeah. Do you have a couple or relationship goal or resolution? See, I thought we were going to make resolutions for the other person or something. Well, that was next. Okay, this is... Okay, do I have a relationship? And this one doesn't have to be long like mine was. We don't have to get in a fight about it. No, no. I Because I was honestly in this... Sa- very aligned in a different way, just that I want to keep the habits that we have, the positive mm-hmm. habits going. Yeah. And it's easy at this time of year to create kind of unhealthy habits. And, you know, for every person, what they consider unhealthy habit is unique and specific mm-hmm. to them. For me, it's just being in a routine where you're still having lots of fun, you're still having lots of indulgences, but you're not. Just uh, always going for that dopamine treat or that yep. thing, because I do find it like like how we are always looking at our phones, mm-hmm. or you know, if I'm going in the pantry too much, I just want to have a right amount of indulgences in my life where it's not controlling me and not making my mood swing so much. I don't want to have five coffees in one day or be hungover so often. I want to things need to be special, and I want to have that in our life and i think we've been doing a particularly good job of that the last six months here's where i usually fall off the rails and i'd like not to for for us as a couple we just spent i just spent a lot of money for your stocking on really high-end specialty teas so there you go we got a whole cabinet full of like beautiful specialty teas they're super fun to make i like the ritual and they're super fun to sip yes so there's our indulgence Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Next little bit. Okay, but moving on to for you, a uh, what are they called? Resolution. Resolution. For you, yeah. if I had to make a resolution for you, it would be to not get so worked up at the kids' bedtime. And I know it's an annoying thing. And yeah. I am, I am a little bit annoyed every time we put the kids to bed. But it's also a happy time because the kids are in bed. Mm-hmm. You and I get to have that quality time. I don't want when the kids are in bed and you and I can finally relax for you to be thinking about that or have any frustrations carrying over from that bedtime to into our time together. Yeah. And I, and I I do find you you can start the day hot and happy and it's not ending that way. It's what you want me to be just like grumpy from the get-go. Why, why would that be your deduction from what I'm saying right now? What, how would that ever be? What well, I'm, what's starting? What's wrong with starting off hot or happy? When did I ever say that? What What are you trying to do? I don't know. When did I'm I confused. say? You're confused <laughs> by let's not let the children's bedtime no, frustrations think, bleed into our quality time? No, I think that's a great goal. I think it's a really good mm-hmm. goal. And I, I think that's a good resolution for myself. Honestly, I do. Yeah, because... It, it can be a roller coaster mm-hmm. when somebody's happy, happy, happy all day. And then when you get to have that time where it's just you and them, if they aren't as happy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, and I don't know if you've noticed, but I have been working on it. But then what has been happening is that I really hold it in with the kids, is what I've been doing. And then the second I leave the room, I'm like, ah, fucking, and yeah. I'm like muttering and kicking Joe things. Pesci but then I go back into their room and I'm like, okay, sweetie, it's time for bed. And I'm like, I'm really trying to hold it in. And then the second I come out, you know, it's kicking the toys and grumbling again. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. I think that's good. Do you want to know mine for you? Of course. I think I'm I'm going to predict it and yes. I'll I'll be honest. You tell me and I'll be honest if it's what I was thinking. No, so. no, no. You say it and okay. No, no. Atone. Oh. Atonement. No. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah. So if I was you and if I was setting a goal for myself, I'd be like, hmm, people seem to think I'm sometimes angry when I'm like nowhere near even close to it and I'm like feeling really good. And it solely has to do with just how I'm saying something, even though in my brain I'm saying it totally normally, it's coming off as maybe like cold or like angry. And I'd think... Oh, maybe I'd want to put a little more intonation in my voice. Okay. Yeah. I thought I was, but I haven't been doing a good enough job. You're doing it on the podcast because I knew I was going to bring that up. And then I was, as we were speaking, I was really paying attention to it. And you've been really good with tone on this uh, episode tonight. Really? Yeah. I like to think I always am. Okay. I'm not though. I'm obviously not. So I will (laughs) improve that. Okay. We should get to the interview. Let's get to the interview. So folks, this is our interview with Travis Leneff. But before we get to this interview with Travis, let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh. They're a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make, I am telling you, the best basics that you can get your hands on for your littles. They're fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless, and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. And if you were like me, always jealous of the cozy kids clothes that they were wearing from Mini Miosh, you can rejoice because they now have a women's collection. This is the M and West collection. And you would be hard pressed, honestly, to find me not wearing it on any given day that I'm chilling at home. This is you know, the same simple, high quality, ethically produced, sustainably produced clothing that you got used to with mini Miosh. And it just is so comfy. It's really hard to take off. It is so comfy and I do highly recommend it. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the U.S., and it is only one use per customer, so load up that cart, and again, that is minimiosh.com and this family tree 15. And now, let's get to our interview with Travis. Travis, I am so happy to be sitting down with you. This is super nice. It's something that, you know, I've I've been wanting to sit down with you and chat with you ever since we met for the first time, and that's kind of where I want to start, because, you know, you're a model, you're an actor, you are... I met you as a dinosaur and I'm curious for the listeners, if you can describe yourself, how upon meeting somebody, do you describe yourself? Well, that's a very complicated question um, because for, for me, I actually don't like to, I've actually had many people write my bio for me multiple times because I having to live up to an adjective. I mean, that's so hard, but I've, I've said things like model actress mattress <laughs> Um, which is a, <laughs> a quote from Willem from Drag Race um, that I, I like. But I think like usually if I'm going to, yeah, I wouldn't do it. I like that. So what you just say, not answering that, sorry. And you walk on? 
formerly I would say things like I'm a stripper right because I I was and that was the main thing I was so it was the most sort of upsetting for people right. um but but I'm not one anymore so I I can't really use that uh and I think most of the time now I usually will say things like get to know me instead or you know something yeah. more more along those lines yeah I feel like um life is long it's like excruciatingly long and everyone should have the opportunity to live past a first impression or their sort of scope of how they 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 would like to be perceived so I think a a huge fear of mine is being perceived and uh, I never been on a date that wasn't with someone who's already my partner or someone paying for the date um (laughs) So like a, a real date that isn't a business plan or uh, uh, indulgence into, ro- into romance with, with a significant other has never been that interesting to me because I feel like it's like always putting your best foot forward and not the most genuine way to get to know someone. Okay. So, you know, we've been talking a lot on this podcast about living authentically and you're kind of getting into that right now <laughs> as it is. Honestly, it's, it's just, it has been coming up lately it's in every conversation I've been having. And I feel like it's something that's like being, it's calling me to touch on a little bit. And you're somebody, and I don't know you, Travis. And that's why I'm so excited to sit here and talk with you. Like we met once on Shane's shoot and Seth. So cool. Wasn't it so fun? It was such a fun day. It was a hot day. It was a hard day. Um, But (laughs) your partner, um, Seth, he does hands-on exotics and- yeah. There's a big dinosaur that's like super expensive. Shane needed it to fight in a scene. And Travis was yes. inside this like, what, 250 pound dinosaur suit? It's around 200 pounds. Yeah. It's insane. And like, <laughs> you know what? Outside is the best way to have it. So it was a blast. But yeah, we've, <laughs> there's actually a, a new dinosaur at Hands on Exotics as well. And also the dinosaur that was in that show has currently been put in in drag dinosaur drag by boa the drag queen from drag race so um her name is sarah tops (laughs) this is amazing (laughs) yeah i mean i love uh, i love leaning into that moment especially on social media being like i do actually like um dinosaur drag Uh, that is (laughs) even though that's incredible that is incredible and you know, like chatting with you guys that day, I just got such like a warm, fuzzy feeling. I was like, all right, you're both super welcoming, super nice, super chatty. And I love all those qualities in a person because it just makes it easier when the person you're talking with is just nice. And then you guys were going from doing like dinosaur film shoot with us in a canyon to like going and dressing up and going to a horse show in the u.s the next day and it sounded super chaotic and amazing (laughs) and ever since then you know i I follow you on instagram and it's like Mm -hmm. hot photo after hot photo after like spicy photo where you're mostly naked and i'm like you know i open my instagram at work and i'm like oh there's travis again i gotta hide this (laughs) but you are somebody who seems to exude so much confidence. And I look at you and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm at a place in my life at, I'll be 34 in March. And I'm finally feeling like I got a hold on me. And I'm finally feeling like I'm happy with this and I'm good with this and I'm confident in this. But you seem like somebody 
who just has that inherently. And I'm curious if that if that's always been the case or if you came into that. Hmm. Yeah, again, great question. That's a complicated <laughs> one. I think like my mom is super cool. I've looked up to her my whole life for reasons like that. I think she like just has this like inner, I don't really know what the word would be like virtuousness, but it's not related to anything like a typical necessarily like moral compass or like societal norm. There's just like a, a level of like just care and, and, and being herself and caring for other people. So there, there, there was that I would not say I'm as proficient at or good at, at what, what she is. And like, I just look up to her, but I think also a lot of it was just no choice. Like I, I grew up in like a very small town that is full of like religious cults and things like that. So in Ontario? In British Columbia. Oh, okay. And so a lot of people just were very physically uh violent towards me and stuff like that. So it gave me like very different options for how to exist. There's also no like queer youth group or city really near me. There was no protection from adults either because they carry the same values. So the only way I could really fight back was how I acted or looked in the face of, of those, of those things, which um, was usually like very loud and aggressive. There's, um, there's birds behind me. So you might hear them. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a, a Canadian uh, film director um, named Bruce LeBruce. And he uh, sort of, I don't actually say the word because it's like got such a native connotation, but probably would be like, worthy of like upset and that's why they used it um but they said i think it was like queer terrorism or something like that like just putting gayness and queerness in people's face aggressively because especially like people that live a more heterosexual or or, uh sort of cisgendered life don't realize how much those expectations play in our face aggressively because of like you know, like, it's not like something that just like necessarily just ha- suddenly happened. It's like an awareness that we're aware of so young. And I think about people like my nieces. And I remember my one niece when she was getting older, I always had told her I had boyfriends and things like that, even if I didn't have one just to sort of make it normal. And then and then when it came to her asking me about marriage, like, would you would you uh, marry a woman? And I said, Maybe, but probably not. I'll probably marry a man if I marry anyone, but I probably won't get married at all. And she was just like, can you do that? <laughs> and I was just like, she, this is this kid that's known, you know, forever that I've, I've had boyfriends. So like, why couldn't I do that? And I was like, oh yeah, like Disney is a man and a woman. And like, this is a man. And a woman. Like, this is just so the norms. So, like, can he do that is like a very real question because I, I've never seen it. Is that possible? Maybe it is, but I've never seen it. And I think that's sort of, you know, the, the truth of how, how one grows up or whatever. And then with, you know, then the opposite of the spectrum of where I want to live would be that, that version uh, that I was sort of mentioning or quoting from Bruce the Bruce. So I like to live somewhere in the middle where um, I can be like, Hey, like the Claremont twins can be in thongs and fresh out of prison selling a cute shirt. Um, <laughs> I love it. Can, can me and my, my partner also have like a butt crack <laughs> or something, but just to, to sort of explain, actually, sorry, I'm, I'm prattling on but no, it's the good. polarism of, of how I live is 
working in fashion and modeling and things like that, people were definitely not okay with me. Mm-hmm. In fact, I heard like many things, especially early on, like that my voice was too gay, uh, that I had to change that if I ever wanted to book, that, that I couldn't, you know, groom myself certain ways. I had to grow a beard. I shouldn't dress that this way or wear that, even in public, just because of perception and, and things like that. As things went along, and as I just began, as you, you might want to call it confidence or ar- mm-hmm. what, arrogant, arrogance, being an Aries, whatever it is, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just lived on the same way because I just have never felt like I can do anything but be my authentic self where mm-hmm. I can't I, I, there's a this level of itch that if I if I don't scratch which is being myself it's just like I can't I can't do it and you know things started to change culturally and then I did drag race with my now partner who I met on drag race which is quite funny and fun I uh, started to get more notoriety and I switched my agency because I didn't feel like they understood what I was trying to do. And they weren't, they were happy about it because like financially that sounds great, but then they weren't like understanding how to book me. So in a very long winded way to answer your question, have I always been this way? I don't know, but I've always felt the need to be myself. And I think my biggest protection and things like that have been, have been my um, personality and uh, my, the way that I dress myself often is my armor even though it's like often also the the reason why I get picked on. And I, I, yeah, I don't fully know where it comes from, but it's kind of existed forever. Like I've been wearing men's and women's clothing since forever. I had like a, a pseudonym for a while before five Tracy. Before you were five years old. <laughs> yeah. That's Around six, I think was when I got in trouble in school for wearing dresses and stuff sometimes to school because they were saying it was like dress up and became a whole thing with my school and I had to like defend defend me or whatever but then as soon as I was out to my school which I think was about 13 is when I was just like hot pink blue eyeshadow skirt okay wait can I how old are you I'm 31 okay okay so we're about the same and yeah because like even thinking about when I was in high school I mean I think there were two out people in my high school of 1700 kids now you go into a high school and it like it's so different it is so different the atmosphere and it's so amazing and it's so great to see kids living just more comfortably within themselves and there were a few things you said that i want to touch on so first of all was the town lillouette and (laughs) was it (laughs) <laughs> no, but I know Lillouette. Because uh, I thought culty and weird. I'm like, that's Lillouette. 100%. No, I might have. I mean, similar. The, uh, Salmon Arm is okay. where it is. And, and and most of them are periphery. But there's things that have happened in that town, even in the time that I'm alive. Like, I mean, how serious do you want to get? So there's there was a time when white supremacists tried to take over the town politically. Um, and they were all part of, I'm sure they would not call it a cult, but they were part of a cult. Um, and obviously it did not go through, which, but also led to, I'm pretty sure it was that ex- Salmon Arm was called by McLean's Magazine, the most racist city in Canada. I mean, the residential school system didn't like really end until 91. And that was primarily in BC. And the most recent one where all of the bodies have been found are near there, like Kamloops, Thompson River, that area, the set wet, set wet McPeople and stuff. So it was all things that, also people there knew even I knew it was a very aware of people act all surprised like these things happened or whatever but like literally everyone knew about it and then where I went to school especially for elementary salmon or west um it was actually spoken a lot 
about a lot more and our assemblies would be partly in Setwemic, the language. I'm hoping I'm not butchering the pronunciation. I'm sorry. I'm like a dumb white person. I'm pretty sure I did okay though. And, and things like that. So like that was more focused on a different way, but never was there ever, especially from people like me or white people. Uh, there was like, oh, that's sad. There's never like a, but, th- but then what? Mm-hmm. Like, how do, how do we care? How do we show yeah. that it matters? How do we show that we feel bad about that happening? How do we, so I'm grateful for the change of that narrative a little bit, even though like, you know, we've not very well lived up to how, how to make things a little bit better or more right or, or be more thoughtful. But I, I, I was like, it's for me, it's, I'm just like, that's crazy to me because like, they're, they're, we're, we're acting surprised and it's like this is very well known so especially there it sounds like salmon arm is archaic obviously like this town is stuck in a, a different era completely that you know really shouldn't have been but it, it sounds like it's there and especially when you were growing up and did you feel like you know I'm picturing you as like a little kid, like preteen, whatever, like somehow just as cute, I'm sure, as you are now. And just going from, you know, like you said, dressing however your school had you dress because you couldn't wear women's clothes, you couldn't wear dresses, to one day like totally all hot pink and feeling it. What was that? What did that feel like? Was that just so liberating? Like I have never got – I'm not a queer person. I've – I mean, I'm – always felt like a straight chick so I've never had this intense moment of like self-realization in that way I have had moments of it in motherhood but it's been different so I'm curious about that yeah I mean I honestly was terrifying I think more than anything but I think it was like these things that already like were like being perceived by people and um sort of already seen and uh, like I couldn't necessarily hide them anyways, but I was trying my best to while still being myself. So it was already like, I was already criticized all of these ways. I'm just like, why don't I just fucking, sorry. No, you can swear. What? You can you can say fuck you to all these people and say I'm an arm also if you'd like. I mean, a lot of them have tried to apologize for themselves, which uh, I give them, but I kind of just like, if I'm going to be this like, persecuted and perceived this way anyways like why don't I just do whatever the hell I want like they're gonna hate me no matter what so what's the worst that's gonna happen I'm gonna get my locker robbed from again I'm gonna get spat on again I'm gonna beat up again great like already happening I might as well feel like my best self and um you know those those press on glue nails are pretty fucking sharp so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it was it was hard there was times like especially like in school I remember going to like a party for once because I was scared too because like I couldn't even really go to lunchtime and stuff Mm -hmm. uh, where something very physical would happen someone would save the day realize that I was gay like say say adults would see this kid being by a group of uh, of usually boys take me in and be like oh fag (laughs) why do we save this one um sort of uh sorry uh, sort of thing and and then having them like want to charge me for you know damages because there's often vandalism that followed because it was being protected by you know a household or some sort of thing so it's like my level of like safety was often like don't trust adults don't trust kids you know whatever I, I honestly think the benefit has been sort of 
being able to see body language very clearly and like it's a it's a, a blessing and a curse because not everyone's in touch with their feelings but it does make me heavily aware of like the mood of the room and like what everyone's doing and sometimes I forget my own mood but like that's what has kept me safe so it's interesting like now as an adult going to therapy today going like oh yeah like being around people I'm constantly like thinking about how how to be safe where is a safe thing how to, how to be per- perceived um how to be myself how they're feeling whatever the case may be so it's affected me but for the most part in ways that I'm like that's a superpower I can I was, read your mind I was just gonna say that and so often I think once you become more in touch with yourself and more attuned to what you need and like your own feelings and things you can turn those negative experiences, those tough things into superpowers. And Shane, my husband often talks about it because he has undiagnosed something, ADHD probably. (laughs) And he always talks about how growing up with that and just knowing that something was wrong with his brain and how he perceived things and took on challenges, how that became one of the things that has made him successful, right? Because he can go. And like me, I've honestly always just like coasted like a happy little clam through life (laughs) just coasted like stayed away from too much conflict and everything like that so I never gained those skills and I'm a very chaotic person because of it I'm disorganized (laughs) I'm flustered I'm all over the place and I wish I had that kind of superpower but I had nothing to like propel me to learn it do you know what I mean I mean, I think you're so special that I know what you're saying about in terms of like the one thing, but I, I think you're very special and you have, you have many superpowers. I hear what you're saying for sure. I think like it's, it's to be honest, like what, as you were saying it, what I was truly thinking about was like, I think for a young person, it takes someone really seeing them and valuing it. And, and it, it's, it's actually, you know, possibly impossible, but definitely very hard to do on your own. And to have someone actually see you and like recognize these qualities or not look at those qualities as like the, the thing that a lot of times like adults would say to me were things like, if you, if you, do you, do you feel like you would have this reaction if you didn't dress this way though? Do you feel like you're not adding to the conflicts by acting this way? And I'm just like, I this way. <laughs> my speech is, is acting too much for, for, for my existence to like be safe. Like it's that, you know, intrusive. So, but then to have, you know, the few people that saw me and honestly, like, again, my mother, I was so lucky to have her because I, I'm like, for some reason, I'm emotional. I told you, watch out for this. She was like, you're a basket case. You're never leaving the house. Like, da, 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 da. like you, you know, I, I'm worried about you. And I was just like, I, how, how do I leave the house? Like, what, what am I going to do? Like, I can't even take the bus that I like. I, there was a, first of all, there's no city bus. There was like the handy dart, which was like for mostly the elderly and people that were sort of had different sort of uh, mobility challenges, mm-hmm. but kids would sometimes take it because I, you know, you live several kilometers from wherever. And there were so many times that I would get so bullied on the bus that I would get removed from the bus, from the bus driver. And, and so like, I was like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Is like, and I like cried and I'm reading, like, I'm just going to move in with Aunt Cheryl in Vancouver. I can't do this anymore. You know, I was so, so depressed, um, while trying to be myself. And so my mom was like, well, you're under 16, so I'm not gonna let that happen. But also 
I hear you and I want you to be able to have experiences, especially with gay people. And, and so she sort of organized a thing where I'd be like able to go to Vancouver and like have a queer youth group moment. I was also a very good student because I couldn't sometimes go out at lunchtime because of like safety. So I just do school. So like straight A's did, you know, university credit, credit things, you know, uh, early graduation type thing. So I was able to do school by like sort of correspondence basically, or sometimes if they weren't down, just call in sick over and over and have my mom be like, yeah, he's sick. I'd be in Vancouver, like doing all my schoolwork, <laughs> you know, and the internet happened at the same time, which was like a lovely thing, safety wise, not always lovely, but was helpful for connection to the point where even some of my closest people, queer people to this day uh, are people I met, you know, at 14 on Nexopia Nexopia. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. What is, sorry, like, what is what Nexopia? Is I feel out of this. Is this, a, is I'm it a gay like, thing? I'm feeling, no, definitely not. Um, but mine was very gay. Uh, it was very like, if you want to do my space, but be less like artistically, like inclined and creative, do Nexopia. But it was also very popular on the West Coast. I, I think it was actually popular in remote communities. And okay. um, and it was just kind of like a small profile, like right before Facebook. And then, and then Facebook kind of really like dominated for a while. And I hated it. It took me so long to get on Facebook. I know it's the worst. And now it's just everybody's aunt like posting scams and it's, it's still the worst. Like Facebook has always been terrible, but honestly, Not the aunt posting scams. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but you know, I think your story would speak to so many people in Canada and in like, cause so much of Canada is rural. So much of Canada is not the big cities. And I just think that your experience would, honestly speak speak to people even probably from like cities like Hamilton where we live where it's not so huge there's not like a big especially 20 years ago not a big gay scene and they'd have to go out to the big city of Toronto for that right and it's it is so different and it's like again I don't know you I only kind of know you from the internet and from one day of meeting you but I do feel a connection Travis and I hope you feel it too but Oh no, I, I do. I, I have a, a genuine like want. I just I just want a connection with you, and also Likewise. like cr- crush on your entire family, but especially you and your husband. Thank you. But <laughs> uh, me looking at you and Seth in everything you guys do together, because these two do a lot of modeling and acting together, and it's insane. You guys look amazing in everything. Shoppers Drug Mart ad. Congrats on that, by the way. You guys look fantastic. Thanks. Um, but Drag Race, you met on Drag Race, and I love yeah. a love story. I especially love a love story if you're in like thongs and showing off your abs on Drag Race. <laughs> so I kind of want to hear just like a little bit about that, how you guys met, and why are you not on Drag Race anymore? Because I think um, inquiring minds like my own want to know. Uh oh, they just lost their two hottest. <laughs> um, yeah. So well. We both got books very differently for the show and had our first filming days were separate. Um, and then our second filming day was together and he was the chauffeur because he had a car, which by the way, came production, like pay for more things. But uh, I was late as I typically am. We've, I've, I've held strong to that through our relationship. He's a very, he's timely spice. I'm late spice. <laughs> and he did not like me because of that. And then sitting in that, vehicle with the other people from from the pit crew that I didn't know yet and now knowing most of them I I I feel a lot 
better about, but in the moment, I remember everyone was just like, what do you, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And like, it was very like, just didn't feel comfortable for me. I was just like, oh, it's, it's like a, a what do we do? Like who, who, who can piss the whatever? I don't know what the, the term is, whose dick is bigger, whatever the thing is. And so I was just like, yeah, I'm just gonna like do the job and like leave yeah, <laughs> and be, and be happy every day and everything's fine. And like, be happy with like, whatever, like I was super, super excited because a lot of the Queens I, I knew from Vancouver and from Toronto, like it was such a great moment to watch them like shine or in some cases get super you know, anxious. <laughs> and then on, on the flip side, um, I knew Brooklyn for many, many years, Brooklyn Heights. I knew um, Jeffrey Boyd Chapman since I was like 16. He specifically like came to my dressing room to like say hello. And, and, and stuff. He's, I've looked up to him as well because he, he started modeling as well in Vancouver and then moved into acting and, and different things like that. And then Stacey McKenzie, I mean, I'd just been to her birthday. So I was like, wow, this is like such a fun opportunity. And the main producer who switched uh, after season one, which might have something to do with why the picker is not there, but um, <laughs> uh, was also someone I, I, I really respect and look up to. He did the Housewives of Vancouver and Toronto. And every time I get, yeah, every time I get sad, I like watch the Real Houses of Vancouver because of the B-roll. Like, there's so much beautiful Vancouver B-roll. So it was a magical experience, and but we did not get along right away. And then there was like a moment of like, let's like, let's take a moment to use this opportunity, like the main four. Uh, and then of course there was like, oh, but Mina, please also join us. Let's use this as a moment. Let's use this as a media moment. And I had like, fortunately, like different little connections to different like queer publications like Out Magazine and things like that to start promoting us. Yo Homo, which is like a, a, a blog website for queer events and, and queer, just queer media in general and like different things like that. And then also separately our own things to sort of make sort of identities and stuff like that. And, and Seth was one that was very in league with that and mm-hmm. into it. And then I was being shopped for a campaign for Via Rail. I don't know. Like, am I allowed to say this? I'm sure it's yeah, fine. 100%. It's so, it's so after the fact. And uh, they had gone through my Instagram to vet me, which is a thing that casting directors and clients do, which is wild because my presence online is terrifying for people, <laughs> I'm sure. And they saw Seth and then they were like, does he have an agency or whatever? And then, then I sort of made a package for him for different agencies shopped into three that I thought would be successful for him as well as knew like the agents or had experience with them. And then the, honestly, like the one that I was like, this is the one was the one that was the most gung ho about him. And then he saw, he signed and then we did Bia and then we did Indigo. And then, you know, things just kept snowballing and then COVID and, and then being close to each other and each other's person. It just like kind of snowballed into um, a relationship. I don't think either of us wanted a relationship I certainly did not think that I would ever be in um, a relationship that was in any way romantic and then things like that you know going forward I just was like tried it over it and as you know time's gone on we've grown but to answer your question about where are we I mean we're living our lives doing our own thing but yeah but but, but off of people's weekly you know like pleasure viewing whatever I know. it is hurtful um I don't know all of hundred percent the truth of all of the details basically what we had been told which we i think we're pretty much not really allowed to speak about um until they made an announcement which i don't think it ever happens 
um, was my biggest one, uh, was that we couldn't speak about why, but we were not because of possible, we'll say, what am I, what am I going to say? What's, what's the word that people say when it's not a hundred percent fact-checked? Um, it, it starts with an A. My, it's been a long day, Travis. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You have, Yeah. Allegation. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> it could have been because of things like COVID and they didn't want more people on the thing, but there was definitely times where they probably could have included us. And then maybe allegedly now they're going to try and say things about like trying to be positive, body positive. But as on a personal, fe- personal feeling, I feel like you're kind of using us for our bodies and throwing us away without any explanation or any announcement. So that's kind of rude. And also like you were the most body positive probably of all of the shows. And you could have just done more to promote body positivity. <laughs> But Canadian television aside, well, there's, there's uh, issues with that. There is. I think there's own. a lot of uh, uh, how do we save money? And sometimes we don't always look at the thing that will actually save the larger amount of money, which is usually sometimes a small scale thing that we're spending on versus uh, a thing that we feel like is, oh, this is this is this batch of money quickly understood. Okay, let's get rid of it. And then we typically um, lose the DNA of, of a show unless it's something like Dragon's Den, which we came up with first. But I actually, you know, like what other <laughs> show did we come up with first? Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, clearly I feel some type of way. <laughs> All right, Travis, we are going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by True Earth, and if you listen to the podcast, you know that Shane and I have been trying to reduce our environmental footprints. One way we're doing this is by essentially just introducing True Earth into our life. It's a company that makes, you know, just a slew of household products in a sustainable and ethical way that allows us to reduce our environmental footprint. The first step we took was trying to eliminate single-use plastics. So I'm looking at all my spray things for my cleaners, the big jugs of laundry detergent, out with those and in with these True Earth soluble strips. So it's detergent and counter cleaners that they come in these pre-measured strips that you let just like rip apart, put them in the machine. They are so easy. And the best part is that there's no plastic. And because the packaging is so compact, like it just comes in this little piece of cardboard, it makes, in our case, our laundry room so tidy. It takes up no space. And we actually have three years worth of laundry detergent sitting on our counter. And I think it takes about five inches of space less. It's amazing. And as a family with kids who have really sensitive skin, we usually go for the baby detergent for them because it's fragrance-free and it's gentle on everybody's skin and it's still so tough on dirt. So our clothes come out smelling amazing and super clean. They also just came out with a fabric softener, which I gotta say, I wasn't using prior to this. I didn't use fabric softener like my parents did. But now, like, I cannot stop. I really love the difference it makes. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. You're going to love this product. Take my word for it. And again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. We are also supported by the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. This is, I am telling you, the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor that I have ever use i'd be hard pressed for anybody to come to me with a better monitor i honestly wouldn't believe you one of my favorite things about it is that there is no physical contact with your baby because they use this like military grade technology it's called sensor fusion but when you see like the outlet the nana all these little things often that your baby has to wear some kind of 
device. There is none with the Miku. And it, and it really is. There's like you know, demonstrations of it online where people are doing tests and whatnot. It's the fastest reacting one. So with Betty, I actually got an amazing, well, better sleep in postpartum than I did with Lucy solely because I was able to sleep when the baby was sleeping because I knew my monitor was there backing me up. I spent less time watching the monitor to see her chest go up and down because I really, I really depended on it and I really trusted it. Plus, it uses crypto security, which means there's no hacking, which is always, you know, one of those weird but very real fears that you can have with a wireless smart monitor. The Miku Pro works with your phone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions. And it's got amazing HD photo and video, great night vision, custom dual Ole Wolf speakers, a two-way microphone, and it then plays, you know, beautiful sleep sounds and lullabies. I like Durban waves at midnight or whatever it's called. And it allows you to talk to and comfort your babies. So check it out at MikuCare.com. And if you use the promo code FAMILYTREE10, you're going to get 10% off. That's a big deal on a big ticket item. This is for the US only, but again, that is mikucare.com and family tree 10. And now let's get back to the conversation. Well, you should, honestly, honestly, you shouldn't. I mean, if they're throwing in COVID policy, doesn't it help that two of the pit crew are dating? So you're essentially just like one person have a two man pit crew. Like it I makes mean, sense to me. Put me also, in production. Yeah, well, and during COVID, let's look at every other season. How do they include pit crew? Oh, like doing green screen things separately from the queens. Doing like, there were there were options that were not looked at. People were busy and stressed. Let's give them. Let's give them that. You're kind. But yeah, it was it was it's you know it's been an interesting interesting moment. I'm such a fan of the show. Also, I've been wa- I've literally also been watching since season one. Like I was super young, and I got to meet Nina Flowers when they won. I got to meet Tara Sanchez and hang out with her. Like downstairs while she painted on with like wig glue tears and then did one of my favorite Beyonce songs slash music videos why don't you love me at celebrities nightclub uh I was definitely underage I think so at that point probably 17 so like sorry to whoever let me in but that's also one of the best music videos out there oh it's so good and no one everyone's like like, do you know do you know why don't you love me and people are like what I'm like oh no that that video kills me every single time I see it it's beautiful I like the head moment, like oh where she's God. like, nah, nah, nah. yeah, so I feel it so deeply. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you guys are honest, like you're all over the place. Your Instagram account is honestly a treat. Like it's a colorful <sighs> naked treat. And I highly recommend everybody go and check it out <laughs> and support you in that. And, you know, you're so out there publicly and you do so much, like you've got your hand in a hundred little pots, including exotic animals, and like showing up at fun parties and dressing <laughs> amazingly. Like I, I don't even know what you are. You're like some beautiful alien from another planet that is just down here to party and make friends. And I love it so much. And, you know, you and I were talking on the phone yesterday, kind of in prep for this. And we're talking about something that you have been advocating for for a few years, which I think is so beautiful and such a part of you but it's you know it's got a different tone than everything we've kind of touched on so far and that's your status as an HIV positive person and I do want to get into that a little bit and I'd like to start off with just 
like we don't have to get into anything about you know the inception of it but I want to know the emotion when you found out and it's so different like I have chronic illness and it's so different than my chronic illness um but I like I know the experience of getting diagnosed with a lifelong thing and it's scary and you have so many questions and I was like 21 and I a doctor made me cry in the hospital because they had no bedside manner and I was just like ran I ran out of their office crying and it's so hard and I I'm curious your emotional journey I guess well first of all thank you for sharing that with me I actually was not aware and like that's so special thank you for sharing that I will I I will ask you more about that if I may at some point absolutely Um, we're we're friends Travis you can ask me anything (laughs) We can, we can kiki. Yes. I, my reaction. So, uh, well, I think the, the prior part of being diagnosed was very disturbing because of like, um, you know, a lot of times you hear like sort of a congratulatory response when you're negative. So you're just, it sort of makes you scared of the, the, the possibility of a negative result. So then you get scared to even go get tested, which I think is a, a huge thing that people don't think about, you know, speaking about bedside manner. And then on top of that, I had been on the post-exposure package once. What is that? Okay, I'm I'm going to remind you. In this conversation, I have always been a very straight chick. So I don't – and this is how stupid and ignorant I am in, in some of these things. Like, I don't know what that is. I barely know the difference between HIV and AIDS. Like, you're breaking this down for an idiot, Travis, okay? Keep that in mind. <laughs> You're, you're definitely not an idiot. I will say though, on that note, not to come for you, um, but, but I think, um, the way that things, um, have been perceived in the past with this illness or whatever you want to say, um, is that it's a gay disease or we've, we've marketed it a certain way. And which is why the COVID vaccine was so incredibly fast. And then with HIV, it's it's not been as fast. And obviously, there's been a lot of like, especially recent jumps. And people often want to like sort of say COVID is what has helped those jumps happen. But actually, the vaccine for COVID came from HIV research. So, so really, it's you just didn't care about gay people uh, or perceived that. Um, because also, if you look at statistically globally, like the people infected and also the people that are on on, on the rise for infection right now aren't necessarily gay people. And not necessarily men all the time. So it's like there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people affected that probably would surprise you, which probably for people that don't fit into the norm. Like I have a, a, a gay male community to, to lean into um, about my status and probably a lot of people feel outside of that. So with that said, <laughs> post, the post-exposure package is basically like if you were raped as I have been a couple of times. Um, you might get that in order to prevent HIV infection. Or if you knew that something happened with someone and you were concerned, you could take it. You might have to work out getting Trillium last minute, or there'll be a way to find, find access. Hopefully also, hopefully uh, it's not, it's not, it's not assured. It's not guaranteed that you will, which is like, also like, if this is the only thing that's going to stop infection, why isn't it just given like the COVID vaccine? So yeah, I did that the first time and we figured that out. And then the second time there was a lot of like, I I couldn't afford it. There was a lot of like, oh, well, you did this this year already. And like, anyways, you know, I wasn't quite there to admit what had happened to me at that point. And so I just let it go. And then 
you know, things happened in media with the person that I had had that experience with. And I was like, oh no. And I had a partner at the time. I was like, damn, <laughs> better, better really check on this now. And I'd been avoidant of it, you know, probably for a little bit of time at that point. And, um, and I was positive. And I remember when she told me, which was, she was so lovely and so helpful. I, I went to a queer place. That was the thing that helped. They were offering all of their knowledge. And I was just <laughs> like, okay, listen, you just need to give me the pamphlets. I will call you if I need you. I definitely need mental health support. But right now I need to like talk to some people, figure out some things. I have a partner who needs to know. And I also know some people with HIV. So I need to figure out where to get the best doctor right now. I don't need to hear about how sorry you are. You had a plan. Um, it's, it sucks. Yeah. And then I like left. My mom called me actually. I remember actually in the middle of the diagnosis. And I was just like, did this witch you know like she's such a psychic she knew something was going on she called me again as soon as they left in the middle of telling my partner that i had hiv at the time and and she when she called me it's like i'm totally fine and i just i gotta go moms (laughs) know travis moms know it was wild and Mm -hmm. she was on me for so long and i was working two jobs at the time and then the one job was like super like well, where, where are you going all the time? Like, what's what's actually the problem? And they, you know, have since apologized for putting me through so much because I had to get doctor's notes. I had to like, da 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 da. I, I had to get, I ended up getting a, a mental um, health sort of safety check, uh, if you call it, but like sort of a, a goal was, as a diagnosis and to make sure that you're safe to yourself and other people. And it was like, you know, a lot of tough stuff and they just didn't care. And I didn't want to talk about exactly what it was. And then when I found out, when I did my first ever like campaign, which was for Katie, which is an HIV AIDS information website, uh, as well as hepatitis, they were like, we had no idea that that's what you were facing. We're so sorry. I'm like, no, no, you're so sorry because you made someone going through something have to defend it so much that I had to quit. I gave you notice and then you fired me and made me look horrible because of, of my work ethic and other things like that. You're not sorry because you found out that it was HIV. You're sorry that you made someone go through that and no one, no matter what the thing is, should have to go through that. And then they rephrase their story and you know, hopefully rethought their position actually. So yeah, and, and yeah, my mom had been hounding me the whole time. Like, what's going on? And that, that night that I, I had finally given my um, sort of notice and had been fired, I just was bawling and I had to tell her. So I told my mom very early on. And my whole plan was not to talk to really anyone about it other than people with HIV or doctors that I got in league with until I was mentally sound enough to handle uh, that discussion and to discuss it in a sort of healthy way that's educational because again, a lot of people don't know anything about it. So you're putting, by putting yourself out there, you're putting yourself up to a lot of scrutiny, a lot of ignorance and a lot of, um, you know, as possibly invisible minority, you're putting yourself out to scrutiny for something you could just hide regardless of i can't hide it in certain cases even in certain provinces still to this day like uh you know ontario if i'm on medication i don't have to disclose my status anymore but the government demands that we do the demand that we're on uh, medication which again sorry to segue back to covid yeah and ramble but when people were all worried about like oh like the vaccine this the vaccine that the government's controlling us like you're being controlled by like getting something that's going to keep everyone else safe. And your precious struggle is just that. And you're going to get one shot, possibly, you know, a few times, who knows if maybe it's more, but like I have to take something every single day that definitely has a detriment on my health. Yeah. And I gov- a government have to 
So I was like, you privileged little bitch. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, yeah, that initial reaction was just sort of like shock and, and deal with it now. And, and shit, this is a lot of paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) It's scary because it's like everybody, you know, everybody has a basic understanding and maybe you had more of an understanding being in the gay community. I don't know, but everybody has like, I know enough about what it is. I've seen enough documentaries. I saw the Andy Warhol doc, you know, like I have an understanding, but like, I, I still don't know how, like how, what, I know the medication prevents it from HIV from turning into AIDS, right? But you have to yeah. take it. So if you stop taking it, the virus could overtake your immune system, correct? And like turn into AIDS? So that's a really complicated. So the, so the one thing about HIV and AIDS and things like that is it's a very medical thing and it's a very legal thing at this point. So it's like, it's hard for me to like promise accurate stats, but as someone who has lived experience and like lives with it every single day, I get you know pushed into understanding the information, whether I even like I'm ready to even know it or not. So yeah, it the, theoretically, if I was to not be on antiretroviral therapy and, and things like that, could it develop into a- AIDS? Yes. And that's why it is so important. Um, but I don't want to also like make someone, you know, who's not even ready to possibly take antiretroviral therapy, you know, have to feel like they must do that. So it feels weird to say that, but also on the flip side of that, there's two, you know, there's, there's actually a lot of different strains of, of it and some of it will affect you differently and progress differently. And there's people that like, I don't want to say the wrong term because it's not, it's not immune, but there's people that can actually just live with it and, right. and not um, with a certain strain. So like, there's a lot of crazy science behind that, but if you take your medication fairly regularly, you know, like the, the truth is, do we forget our meds sometimes? Like people with mental health issues, do you forget your meds sometimes? Yes, we all do. Like it's easy. Do we get our, you know, vitamin C with calcium? Of course. Is that going to cause you to be immediately uh, infectious? No. And so like the thing that, the other thing that's super important about antiretroviral therapy and then things like that for uh, HIV uh, therapy is that it also prevents um, the possibility of infection of other people, the, the inability to, un- un- to transmit. So, uh, you know, U equals U, undetectable, which means your viral load is at a level that is undetectable, which is actually a different number system depending on the country. And then there's the the true, which is, you know, sort of target not found, like completely unable to even see it in your system means untransmittable. So you're unable to transmit the virus. So that's why that medication is so, so important because, you know, there's been promises like by 2020, um, we will be uh, an HIV free generation in, in certain countries. And they did not obviously live up to that. And they've changed the year for, I think the second time. Um, because they don't guarantee post-exposure packages. They don't guarantee protection, knowledge, uh, stigma, understanding in school, PrEP, which is which is for people that don't have HIV yet, and, and also even medication for people that have HIV. So there's a lot of barriers. A lot of them have to do with political and um, capitalist things, but there, there, there is uh, sort of precaution that one can take and, and safety for people that, that have it and peace of mind. But a lot of times the deeper information, which when you become diagnosed with HIV, you have to be suddenly I'm taking care of everyone's health more than my own. I'm taking care of my health better than someone my age. 
I'm having to be more involved with the healthcare system. I have, you know, blood work that I get super regularly. I even have my tape marks still, I think. Can you how how regularly do you need to get it? It's up to you um, to, on some level, but six months, I guess, is probably like the, like, this is what you have to do. And then there's like people like me that are um, like every three months. I didn't and, know. I thought you could just like take the meds forever and be like, not have to think about anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I said, they affect our health. They really do. And they're, they're learning even more ways that they affect our health. Um, you know, it's becoming more and more clear that there's sort of social and, um, what do you call it? Like, uh, around us, um, societal, uh, societal is not envi- environmental. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Environmental reasons why, um, people with HIV and AIDS are, inequivocally more susceptible to developing depression, suicidal ideation, and anxiety. Um, but a huge part as that's being considered right now is um, also the drug therapy being possibly participant in that. And it's looking like maybe, but um, I'm also part of that study, study myself. Good for you. Thank you. I mean, I don't love having depression, but no. turns out. No. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. no, but to... I think it's brave to be able to to share that and it's very selfless and I think it's super selfless to go through that for the betterment of other people. Wow. What a generous thing to say. So thank you. No, it's true. That. That's, yeah. lo- that's lovely. On top of that, you know, our livers, kidneys, function, sort of things like that can be affected and also how we go at our life. Like for someone like me, actually, by the way, it's actually my time. Is it pill time? Um, it's pill time. I take a blue and a red pill um, every day. And I take a second one that's a little harder on my uh, body because of the resistance that my strain or my body has to medication. So Jesus. hold on a sec. Yeah. Go for it. See, because we... You guys saw us. We're good. <laughs> we <laughs> had a family friend. It was a good friend of my parents. And he died of AIDS about uh, maybe seven years ago. Um, he had so gotten it in a blood transfusion because he was anemic. And it was wow. in the 80s. And he, he was living with it. I don't know that he was on medication, but it wasn't affecting him. It just never oh, turned. No, not if it's the 80s, probably not yet. And I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I can't speak for that, this person. Um, Neither can I, to be honest. Know, I, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm you not know, exactly so, sure. drug therapy came in late and it came in it made people very unwell at first, very unwell. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, been slowly progressing, getting better and different, but yeah, like HIV is a very tricky virus. It lives in different parts of your body, you know, uh, sort of is sort of the understanding and that's why you can be undetectable, but still have HIV. Um, but there's also been people now cured of HIV. So, um, that's, that's hopeful. I doubt it'll happen in my lifetime, but I feel pretty good about being paused. And with, with that in mind too, uh, a huge thing about HIV AIDS differentiation and why it's helpful to be on medication, but also monitored by doctors is that we get tested so regularly for not only our HIV levels, which is, I mean, the government concern moment, but also for our liver, our kidneys, our, you know, all these different things. So we actually have a closer relationship to healthcare and a more comfortable relationship being like, I got this red thing. And I am not kidding you. Early on in Seth and I, you know, whatever you want to call it, dating, I would not call it that. But uh, we were working out and then there's something on my back. I saw it in the mirror and I was just like, hey, what is that? He's like, I don't know. It looks like a little bit of a rash. And I was just like, 
No, when I like took pictures of it, sent to my doctor, and he's like, "Yeah, you have shingles." Oh, <laughs> I'm sending, I'm sending you the prescription, but also like come in and we'll make sure that it is shingles. But like, let's just start you on, on this, and then you know, I've had it, unfortunately, multiple times since. Um, well, I guess only one other time since, but yeah, uh, twice is enough for one lifetime. <laughs> shingles is awful. Yeah, it was wild. Um, I mean, I couldn't have been around your kids. Or possibly pregnant you. And I always want to be around (laughs) you, especially pregnant. (laughs) But I can hold, I can hold something. I can like give you like a hot flash or whatever you call it. Like when you're getting up, not hot flash, sorry, the other thing. When you get all like. Like a cool down for when I'm getting hot. Yeah, is yeah, that what yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm into yeah. That. I can also like get find the nearest bathroom for you when like oh. they're deciding to punch you in the bladder. And uh, stuff. I still need that. That's the one thing that happens after you have kids. <laughs> I need to know the bathrooms in a place ASAP. Um, but I do want to ask it. I I, I want to end on two questions. Is do you still feel? Because I know in the '80s it was nuts like who was like princess diana like shook simply shook somebody's hand with aids and the world lost it and is there still a stigma that like you you personally feel like or have felt in your experience 100 Mm -hmm. percent you know incredibly so apparent impossible to avoid you're gonna deal with it yeah i mean there's like the things that like people think in their mind that they're not going to bother saying until there's a close interaction. I mean, part of my visibility of, of being open about it is I get so many questions from people, including last night, uh, asking about, Oh, so I had sex with someone was out of condom and then I found out they have HIV and I'm not in prep. Like they said that they're on whatever. And, and da, 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 da. what do you think my risk is like, well, I don't know the person and I don't know how well you know them, but like, to be honest, like most people that know they have HIV are on it. So you're probably, hundred percent fine. My ex-partner was never on, um, prep. He never had to like worry. Cause I was always taking my pills, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no, no risk factor. And, and but, that, but even, you know, becoming positive and, and, and then speaking to these people, I realized there's a lot of lack of knowledge around that. And as someone with HIV, you just have to deal with like people like that person is that worried with me. Who's someone who they don't know how worried were they being and how possibly rude were they being to the person who has HIV that decided to tell them but they were the person that chose to have bareback sex. And this person with, you know, HIV doesn't really have much to worry about anymore because they already have it. But also, but also they're, they're, they're on medication. They know that no one else has anything to worry about. And this person decided to be honest when probably they've been on for it for more than six months to have tested undetectable and don't have to worry about it. But this person's having to put it back in their mind. But it also happens in our relationships, including mine that's happened, you know, like that this is just a thing that people ask you and don't feel comfortable about and they have to make, you know, make their own choices. But a lot of it's like usually more feelings based than knowledge based. And like a lot of people, it's not their daily struggle, their personal struggle. They're not going to really bother to, to know, or, you know, no, no one will know the feeling of what it's like to see your numbers, your, your, uh, sort of HIV sort of, uh, infection numbers, uh, your, um, you see four count all these different things climb all of a sudden other than someone who's lived with it because the panic I felt for my partner, for other people, like I was just like, but, but my niece used this thing and, I, and it was in my mouth and maybe my mouth was bleeding. And like, what if, you know, you have all these panic and then and you're my doctor, you know, and again, I, I go to an HIV specific, amazing doctor, one of the best in the country. Like I'm so lucky 
but a lot of people don't have that opportunity. And a lot of times the doctor isn't, isn't an expert. They don't know. And they don't care about being on top of, you know, like medicine's a very um, busy industry and not, they don't always have the time or want to, or care, or maybe they're a little bit homophobic, whatever the thing is. Um, and, and they won't give you the best advice. You know, like when my, when my doctor at the time was like, Travis, we've been monitoring you, especially because it's been going up. And even then it's impossible. You've never gone beyond the point. And even if you went beyond that point, to be honest, you're still not going to give it to someone, but you know, like you're fine and you're, you're beating yourself up for this, this thing and, and, and it's fine. But other people, I, I was immediately like, it, it's me. I'm a skeptic. I don't trust, especially men. And unfortunately, like I did get a male doctor. Luckily he's super amazing and only sends me to a female specialist, which is super great. Uh, but I went to another doctor immediately because I just didn't trust him. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with that answer. So I went to someone else and they don't have that experience. They have, they're a different type of doctor in a different area of medicine. And they said something very different, which affected all of my choices for a very long time until I started to see the truth and the results. And, and no one will know what that feels like unless uh, lived experience and including my you know partner at the time, they, they'll, he'll, he'll never know what it felt like for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's no. just uh, every day you'll experience it. And then government things, I always experience it as well because it gets asked. If I go to a, a massage place, is it any other business? No, but will they ask? Will it be on the thing? Do I have to answer truthfully? Will government care? I don't always know. And I'm just like, I know it's not actually important, but I know that I, if I lie on this document, am I legally like going to be in trouble? So mm. you face stigma all the time for being you're, you're You're literally treated like a disease vector from that point forward. So it's like, you know, you went through a lot of struggle prior to being 13, having that Dan Hot Pink face struggle <laughs> after, but at least, you know, you were being a little more authentic to your to yourself. So you've you've been through struggle, you've been through hard times, and now with HIV and you feel that stigma and you're putting yourself out there and you're living incredibly loudly and incredibly beautifully. And I'm curious to keep putting yourself in the position where you, you're talking about this openly and you're kind of, I don't want to say, what I'm going to say sounds bad, like making yourself a target for assholes, basically, right? Uh, 100%. And, that's, that's accurate. <laughs> okay. Um, there was definitely a more eloquent way to say that, but it escapes me. But why is it so important to you to talk about it? And that's what I kind of want to end with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, so I think there's so many reasons for me. I mean, for me, the, the main thing that rang true and part of the reason I went to my first psychiatric evaluation was because I saw the price I wasn't paying for some of my medication. I saw all of these different things. I saw how I felt through the cracks of some things, even though I, I, you know, not that anyone should, but in my scenario, I'm like, really, I didn't meet the criteria. And, and I've also had a very blessed experience with getting like this doctor getting the, sort of this sort of help that I've got to be part of the study so I get I have you know two psychiatrists working on my mental health all the time very fortunate and a lot of people I think with that get HIV also like I think one of the early things that you think about is like what does my life mean now now that there's a financial detriment to the rest of the country in order for my wellness which to be honest is not a true way to think like I think the truth probably is the true part is probably like I'm taking care of myself so i'm taking care of care of you i'm actually doing a real nice thing you're doing a favor for for yourself but that's not how i think you know i have a lot of my own self-worth stuff 
Um, and then also like having such privilege with, you know, um, even, you know, my doctors and things like that. Yes. You know, knowing people that were out and you know, being part of the, the queer community in, in such a way that I, I had access to those people, but also, you know, being a cute white dude, that's a bit of a hoe, uh, <laughs> um, ha- ha- has, has given me opportunity to speak about it. So there was a lot of reasons where I'm like, if there's ever a person that can handle it now that I'm, you know, I, I did wait. I did wait until I felt mentally ready to, to handle the scrutiny and that being a target for assholes, because that is absolutely true, especially on social media. It's been, oh, yeah. you know, there's so many positive things, which are also sometimes draining. Sometimes I'm not ready to, to deal with it. Sometimes it's so sad. And then there's also a lot of people that, you know, say things like body by AIDS, body by meth, you know, um, you, you, no one would care about you if you didn't have HIV. You're like, what? Oh my God. Hold that. Hold, hold that. Um, so there's a lot of, of those things. It's like, can I just do a thing? Um, and also just like, can we just care about each other a little yeah. better, a little more? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing that I needed. I needed to start feeling better about myself, about my position and about seeing the things that I've seen, not having to be other people's scenario or consequence or circumstance. So, you know, lived experience, I think, is is actually quite valuable, especially in this case. You know, when I speak about things like um, saying that no one understands what it's like to have to go through X, Y, Z unless you have it. It's just so real. And to have someone talk about it, it's just like it's comforting. And also to see someone in a position that you don't always expect to have it or whatever is also helpful. And also to see someone that you absolutely society would say to definitely expect it. I mean, like when I got diagnosed, that was another thing. I was like, if I'm open about this, everyone in my hometown will be like, yeah, but obviously, of course he has HIV, of course, you know? And I was like, I'm not ready for that. (laughs) But then I was just like, you know what? I have HIV because all you suck and didn't like, didn't, you know, this is what led me to, to this diagnosis. Not, not my fault. Yeah, it makes me it's me it makes me check check in with my own wellness. Like there's moments where I'm just like, Travis, Frankie, hybrid human, are you taking care of yourself that well too? Have you did you go to that appointment? <laughs> so it, it it makes me like, oh, I, I want this person to do the best for them. Oh, but you also need to do that for you and you need to, to live to live that way. So it gives me its strength in that way. And then it also gives me like the access to more knowledge and and more ability to take care of myself and more resources to take care of other people and actually do something meaningful with my life rather than just be um in a you know no shade to every uh commercial campaign in jack I, lo- I love you and you pay for my life and i, I, I need you <laughs> and, and you need me too <laughs> they absolutely <laughs> you need, need you honestly i just i want to say like this has been like a real treat for me and thank you so much for like you shared so much and I'm essentially a stranger an internet friend hopefully can see you again and make this official but like in real life not just you know online we have a a large slice we have a large slice pizza party in our future I'm sorry but that's gonna happen that when I saw that reel I was just like that, yes. that's my girl. Yes, no, we're we're doing it. I'll wear my diamond onesie to do it in. 
uh, just really go all out. Honored. Yeah. Oh, you should be. <laughs> but really, you, your vulnerability, your openness, I do stand by that it is incredibly selfless. And thank you so much for sharing that with me. Honestly, like this was super informative, but it was also just a nice conversation with a new friend. And thank you so much, Travis. That's so lovely. I mean, I, I would, you know, I'll echo that back in some way. I mean, I, I actually am such a fan of you. Um, and no, truly. And, and, and so the things that you speak about in, especially your social media and things like that are things that when I consider my siblings or people with, with kids or even my stance and things like that, I'm just like, yeah, like that does bother me. Or yeah. Like why, why is it worded that way? Especially like for Seth and I, you know, being queer, people living a very conventional lifestyle. Like, why is this the expectation all the time? Why is it worded this way? Um, and, and especially, you know, this, the way that you write, honestly, like reading your captions and like all these different things, like sometimes brought to tears, like so inspired, so impressed. So I'm, I'm glad to have connected with you in this very unconventional way, which was the filming, which was so fun as like, this is a star I'm obsessed with. Says the um, guy in the hot mesh shirt on a, like what, it, a Tuesday night. But it's, it's, Jean, it's Jean-Paul Gaultier. Oh, yeah, it looks, it looks phenomenal. And okay, speaking of looking phenomenal, if listeners want to go and follow you, follow your phenomenal life, follow your, follow your advocacy, where can they do that? Where can they find you? Uh, probably the best choice would be Instagram because I, I don't believe in TikTok yet. It's exhausting. I mean, I don't. Believe in the, <laughs> I believe in the phenomenon of it. I don't believe in the um, necessity or, or originality of it. But on Instagram, sorry for everyone who loves TikTok, um, <laughs> I would be at, at Frankie with an IE dot L-E-N. So F-R-A-N-K-I-E dot L-E-N, Frankie Len. That's my middle name plus my fake last name that I got when Facebook was new because Lenef is very hard to spell and pronounce. You understand that now. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real, it's a real struggle. <laughs> yeah. And then Frankie was actually supposed to be my stripper name, but I kept forgetting it. So I just stayed as Travis. But at one point, my agency. Did you strip at Remington's? Nope. Well, for one week, actually, someone else we know, <laughs> someone else we know. Um, he's winking at me um, <laughs> that's hilarious worked at Remington's okay. and I worked at Fla- Flash because there were no women there um, and not that I have a problem with women but it was just like so debaucherous and the whole, I, I chose to strip I wasn't like a only oh no I have to strip it was just like so long trying to think of okay I have to make a routine like I have to like have this whole interview moment and that's exhausting that's stressful <laughs> that you know there needs to be another podcast about that that sounds incredibly stressful <laughs> it, was a, it was one of the most empowering moments in my life let's just say that yes amazing. but yeah thank you for for taking the time with me and, and again echoing thank you also for this moment because it, I do want to get to know you better and it did feel like a good conversation between friends and now I have a lot of questions that I need to ask you because I just talked about myself this whole time 100% and we'll do that <laughs> eventually over some booze over that pizza in my diamond onesie how's that wait can I take yes, I'm going to take a picture of us yes. on our tiny screens yeah a big moon face. <laughs> all right, Travis, thank you so much. I won't take up any more time. I'm all tongue-tied now. I won't take up any more time today, but thank you so oh. much for joining me. What? Wait, can I take up one more one more minute of yeah. time from you? Yeah. Um, you're also very good at this. Oh. <laughs> you've, you've led the conversation so well. Like, I feel so comfortable and I feel so safe. And, like, I'm, like, branding now. This is perfect. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank uh, you. 
That makes yeah, me feel thank amazing. You. All right. Well, I love this. I love you. And no, honestly, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I had so much fun. Thank you for having me. Have a great night. Oh my God. I will. It's going to be like really great after having talked to you. Seriously. Likewise. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Say hi to Seth for me. Good interview, Alex. Great interview. I mean, thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much to Travis. I really enjoyed that so much. and, And he knows that. But Shane, let's get into the mailbag segment on the podcast. So this is when listeners write in questions, give us topics, and we take a moment to answer them. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. The first question. And this, okay, so the first question is actually from our podcast editor, Erica. And she says, in all caps, did you hear about the blippy scandal? Erica This is old news, but there are two blippy scandals to talk about in case a listener isn't sure. The first scandal is that, yes, in 2013, Blippi, formerly known by his real name, which is Stephen something, he shat on somebody, a friend of his, doing a recreation of like that Harlem Shake meme video thing. It was really disgusting. He tried to remove the video from the internet. It's still there in the dark corners. And yes, Blippy did something freaky and gross. But you know what? I'm not going to hold it against him, personally. And secondly, the second Blippy scandal that I could see people being surprised about is that he passed on Blippy ship to the new guy. What's Blippy ship? No, Blippy ship. For a second, I thought he traveled <laughs> in like a spaceship and I just missed an episode. I understand what you mean. Yeah, he gave up the personality of Blippy. He delegated Blippy. Blippy dumb. Blippy dumb. <laughs> but did you look at that as like a Blippy themed condom? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Me either. As I said it, I was like, I hope Alex doesn't misinterpret this. Now, now I've said it. Watching Blippy for somebody that doesn't have kids might be birth control enough. Yeah, because you don't want to have a kid that could potentially grow up and be Blippy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, watch it. Yeah, that too. Um, so yes, two Blippy scandals. And you know what? They're they're both pretty world-shaking, but I don't mind. It's all good. Um, the Excavator song still bangs. Mm. Next question. Excavator. Excavator. <laughs> yeah. How did you get rid of the dermatitis? So I've been battling since October. So for like Don't itch it. Stop touching three it. months now, I know. Uh, Sorile dermatitis. Still not sure if that's how you pronounce it. But I was just treating it like acne for the first two and a half months, which was making it worse. And I couldn't figure out why I was getting worse. But finally, I started treating it like, you know, really intense eczema. So I started using Betty's prescription for Eladel cream. So I've been doing it at least twice a day. And then at nighttime, I've been putting a thick layer of diaper cream on top, like on top of the What's that cream. diaper cream called? Penitin. Penitin. It's the best cream in the world. Yeah. Shane, also, you use it every night too. It's good for lips. The only thing it is, it's you don't want to get it on your clothes and it's hard to get off your hands. Oh, it gets on everything. But it's it, so hard. It is the best cream for everything. I would say it's the most utilitarian cream in the world. Somebody told me, a German follower told me that they don't use it there because there's bad stuff in it. But I was like, is there here? Uh I thought they took all the bad stuff out. Oh, it's like baby powder. No, but baby powder is illegal, like with talc. It's all cornstarch now. But I used that my whole life growing up. (laughs) For what? 
putting it all over myself. I don't know. <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought baby powder did everything. And it smelt good. <laughs> um. So, yeah. So, I do that. Just a lot of cream. And now, I haven't used the uh, eczema cream in two days. And look, Shane. There's not even makeup on top of it. It looks good, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So, now I've just been really hydrating it and really moisturizing. And it's almost better and you know i still wore makeup on it at mm -hmm. work every day because it was so bright red but if you don't wear makeup it's going to heal up way faster oh good yeah so that felt good next question i have anxiety over my upcoming wedding day feeling the pressure to make it perfect do you guys have any tips on how to relax on the wedding day so shane i look some up and put some of my own yeah. but i want to know if you have any that just pop into your head right away Okay, things I regret about mine. Don't have your phone in your pocket if you're a man during the photos because <laughs> that's always embarrassing. Don't stress about the speeches. Keep the speech short. I, I'm not sure how old you are, but if I got – the problem is our wedding was one of the first weddings of mm -hmm. my friends, so I didn't really get the hang or know what to expect or what a wedding was. So I stressed too much out. I stress too much about my wedding speech and it ends it ended up being a regret of mine because it was mm -hmm. so hard for me to enjoy anything until that stupid fucking speech was done. <laughs> so that is what I would say. Try to um, make things comfortable for both parties. So yes. what we did was usually it's either the men are sweating their asses off the women are comfortable, the men are sweating their asses off or the women are freezing and the men are comfortable. We had an outdoor wedding. I made it where men could wear Hawaiian shirts. It was Hawaiian themed wedding and normal pants. And then you could wear your wedding dress. Everyone was comfortable. Yeah, that made a huge difference. So yeah, that would be my advice. So I don't know, keep it like, don't think about it too much. Like, and nobody gives a shit. You think, oh, I'm gonna put all these little hats on my donuts and it's gonna be perfect. <laughs> People just, um, 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 they're eating them, they're drunk. Nobody pays attention to all your stupid details that you think are going to be the most perfect day of your life. Mm -hmm. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah, I think being comfortable is huge. And I think a huge part of that, and this is what I wrote down, was just make sure, making sure ahead of time that you're planning it carefully. Because I've seen so many weddings, or like I've been involved in them, where it's like from 8 a.m. or earlier until, you know, 2 a.m., it's just bang, bang, bang. You've got so many things going on, like getting makeup done, girls brunch, photos with this person, photos with that family. The It's just, it's chaotic and there's so much to do. And I think just planning it to giving yourself time. And one thing that Shane and I did, which I know isn't like tradition for everybody, but it really made me feel so cool and so good and so fresh getting into the wedding day was we stayed together the night before because like we lived together and I personally hated the idea of like you know saying goodbye the day before a wedding and then oh next time I see you I'm gonna get married to you and not seeing each other because we're in it together and I I wanted to kind of go into it together so we went to bed together like we each went out with our own friends came home went to bed together and then in the morning we woke up leisurely went mm -hmm. to our favorite coffee shop who we casually mentioned, they're like, oh, what do you guys got going on today? And we're like, oh, we're getting married later. Yeah. Gave us a free coffee that day. Yeah, it was a special day. It was. And it was just so relaxing and so nice. And then, you know, after a few hours, we gave each other a kiss, said goodbye, got ready, did photos, 
had the wedding. And I think that planning to give ourselves a relaxing morning, whether you're doing it with your partner, whether you're doing it with like close people around you, I honestly think that's so key because you don't want to have a stressful morning because it goes all day long. You're going to be fucking exhausted. And when people say the wedding is the best day of their life, no one's saying it because they planned this perfect day and everything. It didn't rain. And whether it rains or not, it'll still probably be the best day of your life. Your planning has nothing to do with how good you're going to feel Mm -hmm. after being married. And I feel like that gets all mixed up that people have the best day because they plan the perfect perfect wedding but it has nothing to do with your planning abilities Mm -hmm. and then just i'm gonna shoot off like three extra quick things Mm -hmm. honestly have good people you trust close by keep your wedding party small if that's what it is just have people that make you feel good about yourself go to bed early eat a healthy breakfast have a relaxed morning honestly that's what i cannot stress enough i like all those things okay Next question. What do you think of what Drew Barrymore does for her kids instead of Christmas presents? Did you hear her say this? Wish to. Okay. So Drew Barrymore has got two daughters, Frankie and Olivia. They're eight and 10 years old. So they're in a, a good age for, I think, this kind of thing especially. But she takes them on a trip every every Christmas. So she said, I don't get them presents, which I think at their ages they don't love. But I say, I think we'll remember the place and the photos and the experience. And that's what I want to give you. So I love the idea of doing something. And I think the key there is if you're like taking them on a trip, being away at Christmas time is nice. Because then if you're at home and you're just like, oh, we're going on a trip in two months and you don't have even something little to open, it's kind of a bummer. Like if you're a kid and even if you're away on a trip, honestly, I, I just get like a little token even just for them to open up for that Christmassy feeling because kids always want something that they can't afford especially at those ages you know they're too young to get a job but they're old enough to want to take part in trends and things like that or games whatever it is so i think getting them something small as a token something they really want is nice (laughs) sure and i'm sure she does and drew barrymore's I don't know her net worth, but I'm assuming it's over a hundred million. <laughs> so every day is Christmas for those kids. Yeah. So what do I think about it? Yeah, sure. Do it, Drew, because those kids hit the lotto to a, a large extent. <laughs> yeah, it, certain things don't matter. And for Drew Barrymore and her children, gifts are one of those things. Mm-hmm. It makes total sense. But like you and I were alluding to, I think on the last podcast, I don't like being away on Christmas. I like being home mm-hmm. around the cold and feeling yeah. like if I see a palm tree on Christmas, it makes me feel weird. I get this uncomfortable sensation if I'm ever yeah. a- away during Christmas time. No, I like a white Christmas. I like all that stuff. I like cozying up by a fire. All of that is the feeling of home and childhood and everything. But the next question, when in a relationship do you bring up finances? If they're a disaster with money, is that a deal breaker? Uh, honestly, I think I think it comes in naturally, kind of. I bring you, it up as, as soon as humanly possible. Like, you mean first date, Shane? Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very open. I talk about it instantly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think anything's truly a deal breaker. It's all how they approach the conversation. If they're being you know, absurd about it and saying they don't want to improve or maybe you don't care if they improve, but I just think it has to be out on the table 
or else what's what's the point? Like if I have lots of money, I want to I'll just be like, oh, you know, I'm I'm comfortable or whatever. And if you have nothing like you didn't have mm-hmm. much when we got together because you said you were spending all your money traveling, but you weren't saying that's going to be you for the rest yeah. of your life. And you, you also you had an asset. You had you had another home. So mm-hmm. I was like, ching. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. That, w- that was a bonus, obviously, but I-, I think if you didn't have an asset, we would just, I would try to work on it together. And if you were impervious to learning, that wouldn't be a deal breaker necessarily, mm-hmm. but it would be, it w- would be very trying in our relationship. Well, this thing, I had a job, I had prospects, like, you know, good career, whatever. So though I didn't have any money at that second, because I had spent it all I was entering in that phase where I was going to make regular amounts of money. We've both been in positions where we dated somebody that was jobless, maybe showing no um, looking for jobs, things like that. And honestly, I don't think it's a problem until it is. But I was looking it up, uh, what to do if your partner is like really bad with money or whatever. And I, I just really good, solid tips that aren't that creative, but focus on their triggers like what is leading them to wanting to spend a lot of money is it control is it whatever are they spending money on gambling are they spending money on food all the time like we do whatever lead by example accept their money flaws and then lead with transparent communication sit down and create a budget together i think sitting down with somebody who understands money like make an appointment at the bank because shane and i have no idea anything about money or saving or like We know how to save, but not the accounts to put it in at the bank and how to do the retirement stuff. Sit down with somebody who knows more than you. Get your partner to admit that maybe they don't know anything about it. Make an appointment with somebody who does and maybe having that knowledge will give them the power to like say, okay, like I can do this, let's start, whatever. Say something before it's too late and just be supportive and focus on improvement if they're willing to do that. And then if they aren't, you don't like it, sayonara. I'm putting that in my notes. To what? Get, for a resolution to get good at money stuff. Uh, <laughs> RRSP. Look up what the acronym for RRSP is. <laughs> uh, make will for kids. Oh, yeah. That's shit, good. we need to do all that. Yeah, honestly. Um, okay. The next question we've got, Shaney Boy. And Erica, if you can tighten these. Okay, Shane, this is the next question. This is our last question. And it's a doozy. Are you ready? It's not going to be a doozy. Continue. Did you hear about the walrus at New Year's Eve? No. Okay. So I just like that this person brought the story to my attention because I had no idea. So there was a New Year's Eve celebration that was going to be held in Scarborough. I think this was taking place in like Australia or something. And it was called off because a walrus had come up on the shore where they were going to be doing the fireworks and things. So he had to be like, hey, this walrus isn't leaving. This thing what, is huge. What, what country is this? I, I don't know. It's a Scarborough. What is this? England? England, maybe? Okay. Yeah. So a walrus was on the shore and they're dangerous and they're massive, right? So they had to call it off because they didn't want to like frighten the walrus. So then news got out. So people were like, all right, well, let's, you know, we're going to go down to the shore anyway for the fireworks. So let's go see the walrus. Yes. Whatever. So I'm just going to read what this news article says. Mm-hmm. 
So instead of getting to watch some fireworks, Scarborough locals were given the dubious treat of watching Thor the walrus knock one out as he lay in the harbor. Let's knock one out. Take a shit? No, he spent like a long time masturbating. They call it knock one out? Oh my God. (laughs) So fans or people gathered around their families and then this walrus started masturbating. And I guess it just went on for a while. People didn't know what to do. And then he just did it. And, you know. I'd appreciate if that publication said masturbate more than (laughs) knock one out. I don't know. know. Something makes me feel weird about that. How was my news reporter voice? Well, I don't know. It's fine. (laughs) But that's all we got, Shane. And listeners, New Year's resolution. Go give us a five-star rating if you haven't yet. Go give us a comment. We love it so much. We love you. And Shane, I love you too. I love you. But folks, that's all we got for the night. And thank you for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast, Podcast, episode 157.